VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Time to talk a little Philadelphia Sixers, 76ers. What is the official name of this team right now, anyway? With the with the city name first, you almost always hear 76ers. Okay, but yeah, I guess because I haven't actually seen 76ers written out other than just like in the logo. Um, yeah, it, I would say it's usually typed out Sixers, yeah. It's a, it's a little bit of both. It's a little weird. <laughs> um so lots to talk about with this team uh but first off i mean i think we we need to start with just you know some of the instagram photos of ben simmons shooting jump shots i mean what what did you think of that have you had a chance to talk about that at all i mean that is a show or that is a yearly tradition among sixers (laughs) fans and the people who cover the team this year is a little more normal in the fact that we only now have a garden variety non-shooting point guard who has never shot rather than one who had previously shot the ball well but forgot how to. So it is a little bit more normal. You know, I will say, I think now that we have some practices and a scrimmage to go to, we've seen a little more than just Instagram videos. So I think it's getting a little, we're getting a little more data, but we've never actually seen him take one yet against NBA competition. So we will see. Yeah, I mean, like, how does this compare to just, I mean, you're you're there before games. Uh, obviously, you see Ben Simmons shoot around. It's not like rare for him to shoot three-pointers. I mean, I saw him shoot three-pointers when he played for the world team back in, in the Hoop Summit in 2015 uh but is he like does anything really look that different to you like are you are you buying that he might actually like be able to shoot the three at a level that's like actually going to help them this year or maybe even at a level that's going to not actually help them this year but would still be doing it so i think i think there's a couple of things i think the the elbow flare is a little less pronounced than it used to be i think he used to drift his his body sort of across his body to almost make up for that and that's less pronounced this year so i think those are two good signs it's still not perfect uh you would never teach anybody to shoot this way but i think he's become a little bit more consistent in his bad form which is good i suppose uh he has shot the ball decently well in like shooting lines in practice and i think where i would maybe take the most optimism from that is in the past if he had a bad miss you would see him sort of like go to a trick shot or go to a you know a post move or a drive like he'd sort of get away from shooting the jumper now he just goes through his entire set so i think maybe there's a little more confidence um you know the biggest thing outside of the fact that he hasn't really done one in a game yet is it's still a super slow shot like he doesn't get up with any kind of speed his footwork's still a little bit deliberate but you're never going to ask him to take a contested jumper anyway so i would say i'm a little bit more optimistic than i was a month ago with the huge caveat that we still need to see him do it in an nba game yeah there are really two components to this one is all right he's not going to be in the dunker spot anymore he's going to be in the corner as you said in your excellent sixers beat podcast which of course is a must listen i listen to every episode of that uh you know, the idea that he might space out to the corner a little bit more when, say, Embiid is going to work or, or when Harris is running a pick and roll, which you know he can do. So that's one aspect. But the other one that I actually think is now of greater importance, given the construction of this roster where you don't have Jimmy Butler anymore as your primary pick and roll option is, can he make even just a free throw line jump shot? You know, if you're running a, a pick and roll, 
from a, a short distance with him and Embiid can you just go under with him and, and he just can't make that shot or if he ends up getting switched with a, a much bigger slower player on him and that guy just lays off him and waits back at the rim as we've seen a, a lot of guys do effectively against him like Al Horford uh you know can he just hit that free throw line jumper that's a, the second component here and I think that to me is more realistic than him learning how to shoot three-pointers after basically being a total non-shooter as recently as last year yeah, I mean it's a it's a it's a good question. Like I think there's there's a lot of different aspects. Like I think as a individual scorer, he could certainly use that sort of pull up foul line area jumper. But then as an off ball player, which is probably more what they needed last year in the playoffs, you could really use that baseline corner three shooter. Uh, I think maybe in terms of you know just I think it's a little easier to almost practice and build up that catch and shoot shot earlier, but it's also a long a longer shot. So we'll see. I think I've probably seen him do a little more off the catch so far in. In, in, in practices. So I think maybe that's the area where I'm focused on, but he could, I mean, any jump shot whatsoever would be a huge addition to his game. But I think what's going to be really interesting is if we're a month in the season, two months in the season, and he's shooting 20% from the corners, you know, how much of a stomach do they have to see him through this to see, allow him to continue taking what is, is generally a bad shot because they want to see him get to where he needs to be either in the playoffs or in future seasons. It sounds like Brett Brown has sort of the stomach to see that through. And I think, I think they should, but it'll be interesting to see how all of that unfolds because then there's also, you know, how much does he want to keep taking that shot? Does that affect his confidence? Does he go back to maybe previous years, Ben Simmons? And we're talking about all this and he still hasn't taken one in a game. So there's a lot to see how it unfolds over the next couple of months. Yeah. And especially if he has uh, the bad miss, I mean, it clearly seems to be a psychological component of this, which you, you alluded to of like, okay, if he has a bad miss in the layup lines, then he goes and does something else. I mean, uh, for a guy who try- has this affectation of, of, oh you know i'm pretty aloof i don't really care what people think i don't listen to the outside noise I, I think there clearly is a psychological component even an embarrassment component to this uh and hopefully with a, a summer of work he at least you know that, that step one is you know not being afraid to fail uh, with this um one other thing I'm going to look at too is his free throw shooting. Yeah, I mean, I, I did some research years ago, and as, as far as I remember, there aren't any outliers to this now. That if you're below a fifty or, or a sixty percent free throw shooter, a sixty five percent free throw shooter, you're just not going to have a good jumper. Like there just aren't players like that generally. I mean, maybe Bruce Bowen is the closest that you could get, but he shot so few free throws, it was really hard to say that he was a terrible free throw shooter. Um, so if he doesn't start shooting free throws better, you know, the volume is going to be pretty low. I think still on these jump shots but if he's shooting you know still 60% from the line I just I don't think he's ever going to get there from a a shooting standpoint um I could transition away from this because I know it's your favorite topic it's gonna gonna bother you but you mentioned this idea of you know it's better for the team in the long term that he become a better shooter I think that that but you know they may not win as many regular season games and that's been a theme early in camp it seems like where one they're like all right I want to win MVP, Joel Embiid. We got to get the number one seed. We got to win 60 games. That's what Milwaukee won last year. And oh, by the way, we played Joel way too many minutes early last year and he was completely broken down by the playoffs. And so we got to, we, we got to shepherd him to the playoffs. Which of those two components, doing well in the regular season or being ready in the playoffs, do you think is ultimately going to become the priority because they are somewhat at odds with one another? Yeah, they're very much at odds. And, you know, Brown's, he kind of hedged there. He said that they want the number one seed, but they, you know, they don't want to do that at the expense of Joel's health. You know, I, I'm sort of of the mindset that Embiid's health and Embiid being at the top of his game and in, in May is 
certainly the priority. Uh, you know, I think if he's not, then whether or not you have home court for a game seven in a playoffs is pretty relevant. So, and we've we've never really seen him at the top of his game in the playoffs. And one of those years, it was sort of not his fault. He he his eye socket landed, or Markel Fultz's shoulder, um, in a weird twist of fate, landed into one of his eye sockets. He was playing with a mask. He'd missed a lot of time. Because of that, it was a, a real freak injury. But last year was, you know, you had, he was sick down a stretch, which was, again, a freak occurrence, but he was also suffering from knee tendonitis. So you really want to be cognizant of that and make sure that you have him ready to go. And I think that is ultimately the number one. You know, I think it's easy to talk about the number one seed now, but if in February they're getting any kind of signs that Embiid's in, there's any kind of peril of Embiid being not at 100% for playoffs, I think that will end up becoming the, uh, becoming the priority. Yeah, and the nature of tendonitis is such that once you're starting to feel symptoms, a lot of times it's already kind of too late, right? You really have to manage it so that it doesn't show up to begin with because it really takes, you know, a, a month or two off to get back to 100% once you really start getting the type of symptoms that, that he had last year. And so that then it comes to doing the load management. And obviously he was, he chafed at that. He chafed at the idea that he couldn't stay healthy. He played a lot of games early last year. Doesn't help that they've always just been atrocious when he's been off the floor, uh, culminating in, the, in that incredible uh, seven seven game series statistic that we don't need to rehash about. What was he plus, plus ninety something like that? <laughs> yeah, and like a negative one hundred three when he was on the bench. Oh, God, it was I, well, and then the, the negative twelve in three minutes <laughs> yeah. that he was off the court in the game, in game seven, seven was just yep. Uh, yep. Uh, was incredible. Um, and then, of course, they signed Al Horford too. He, to me, is is almost as big of a component of this as Embiid because it sounds like Brett's saying, "Hey, we're not going to play him at backup center that much early on." Uh, you know, which was sort of the thought that he was in the playoffs. They probably will, but you know, if you're going with Kyle O'Quinn and playing him 15 minutes a game. Yeah, I'm not sure he's going to be that much better than some of the guys that they had behind Joel last year. So it's, I mean, I to me, I would be slow playing it as much as I can and just trying to build up and hoping that Al and Joel are, are ready at the end of the year. Uh, but they're like, hey, we, we played well in uh, at home. We didn't play as well on the road in the playoffs. And so that's important. Uh, hopefully they will err on the side of caution. But and uh, it seems like maybe they learned their lesson. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think part of this is a reaction to game seven being in Toronto and the way that that season ended. And I mean, I'm not going to tell you that home court was a huge factor in that like the Sixers were a much better home team than they were a road team especially in the playoffs so you understand from that perspective but it, it I mean if Joel Embiid is playing like an MVP caliber player in the playoffs and you have a competent backup center in Al Horford rather than Boban and Greg Monroe and all of that stuff that we don't need to rehash I'm not sure you need a game seven so I I, I really do think that you know there's one of these things which is important and one of these things which is season defining very important and I think at the end of the day they will you know they will they will err on the side of, of what really matters and i do think that is ultimately health you know i think with al it's interesting because i think everyone would assume he will he is your best backup center but he has sort of you know expressed a desire to play a little more for now later in his career he's he's certainly not a young player so you don't want to overtax him too much in the regular season but i think i think when when push comes to shove in the playoffs he's going to be that backup center so could you win some more regular season games if you play him at backup center now maybe uh, and, and you're going to be making those kind of calculations all year it's an interesting dynamic uh but i think i think ultimately they will especially with when Embiid it comes down to Embiid they will err on the side of of his health so let's uh turn to the radical offseason makeover that they had and i'm not that concerned about 
what they did in the regular season last year the joel missed a lot of time they had basically four different teams that they trotted out there at various points uh 151 games but we're a, a little lucky to do that based uh, on their point differential but obviously had uh, really punched above what people thought they were going to do it in that toronto series Mar- markel um, fultz was a starter at this time last year <laughs> yeah it's just incredible uh and so basically it seemed like the trade that they ended up making whether of their own volition or not it, it for this year is jj reddick and jimmy butler out josh richardson and al horford in and obviously there are future components of, of that as well but if you had to just say hey come playoff time would you rather have jimmy butler and jj reddick or josh richardson and al horford with this group who would you choose it's a, it's a, a really good question you know i think i think you can make a case for either direction you know yeah. i think what they have now is a pretty definable identity like i really expect this team right now to be one of the three best defenses in the league and you know they came out and they said that their goal is number one and you didn't really have that identity last year even when Embiid was on the court you know this team just didn't have quite the bite that it previously had defensive and i think they sh- i think this is the best defensive personnel they've ever had i i think this could be one of the greatest defenses of all time by the time yeah. playoffs roll around it's so, real i they have so much talent and even like their two their two guys off the bench thibel everyone's talking about how great he's been in, in camp zaire smith has a lot of talent there too uh you know we'll see what those guys are still in the rotation come playoff time with if they make any other moves but i mean they get they have so much talent on this team it's yeah. unbelievable no, if if Thibault makes shots, I think he could. I think you could. You, I think you could see him. I mean, he is a a difference maker. They played a scrimmage the other day, and he had. I think Brett said sixteen deflections over the course of a forty minute uh, game. So he's. I mean, he was really active defensively. Made a couple of incredible blocks and steals. I think he's going to contribute as long as he makes shots. So I think this. I think they have sort of an identity that they didn't have last year. But I do think the losses that they have offensively are are pretty important. Uh, you know, JJ was. You know, probably your best not probably he was your best offensive fit with Embiid and that's a really big loss and whenever they need to get Embiid an easy bucket their go-to was that dribble handoff with Redick and so every now and then Redick would just draw so much attention that you would see Embiid rolling down the to the rim uncontested which I don't know how that happens when you're 7-2 but it would happen every now and then this is a team that didn't really get Embiid very many easy buckets and you can see that in his field goal percentage numbers and his turnover numbers a lot of that was him trying to force a little bit too much a lot of that was that he's not really paired with a natural pick and roll creator that a big man you know could really thrive next to and your best way to get him an easy bucket your best way to overcome ben simmons lack of perimeter jump shot is to put his man into some action in a dribble handoff on the perimeter you know he was just such a seamless fit with both of your two key components and then you add in butler who sort of had that pick and roll game that nobody else on your roster has who gave you a dynamic that can work in the playoffs who can get the free throw line which nobody outside of Embiid, and occasionally simmons really do in the half court those are two pretty big losses so i would i would right now honestly say i would i would say richardson and horford because i think that defensive upside is so high but i think it's you know i think there's a a a case to be made either way because i do think that drop off offensively is going to be felt yeah you can make the argument that they already were really good defensively in last year's playoffs now they were. i yeah. i did think that reddick toronto didn't do as good of a job of exploiting him yes. as they could and that there might be other teams that could do a better job of that uh you know if you if you matched up with like a houston in the finals or something like that or if they'd had to play golden state last year um but you know maybe that team isn't out there necessarily that that would have killed him this year but and also i mean it's the age factor like richardson is younger than either of those two guys but horford yep. is pretty old you know maybe reddick especially on a two-year deal might have just really fallen off can't play that many minutes during the regular season uh so 
Yeah, but I do think he is just one of the most underrated players in basketball, Redick, because of just all that stuff you said. And even with Simmons, too, his ability to, you know, if Simmons breaks up court and his man is just waiting for him in the paint, then he can go do that triple handoff with Redick and get him an open three. That was a big part of their transition game the last yep. two years. So I think it's a, it's a big loss. And I'm, I'm not sure whether the upgraded defense and the downgraded offense, you know, what's going to end up happening there. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think we tend to look at shooters a lot as binary. Like, are they a shooter? Aren't they a shooter? Right. Will they space the floor? Do you have to defend them or don't you? And Redick is just such an edge case in terms of how much attention he attracts that it is. I mean, it, it's it's a huge loss. It really is. Yeah. So, I I mean, maybe you can say, hey, you know what? Offensively, they weren't with the group that they have with Simmons in the half court. They were never going to be just like an unbelievable top of the league offense. And so this gives you the upside to have like that all time level unit on one end. And, you know, they probably got a little younger and a little healthier and didn't have to give as stomach churning of a contractual commitment as they might have had to to make although obviously Horford's is uh you expect him to maybe age a little bit better than someone like Butler would who's pretty dependent on athleticism and, and is more of an on-ball guy but again I mean I think you you can go either way with that one I thought that's why it's such a fascinating question um so starters are going to be Simmons, Richardson, Harris, Horford, and Embiid. That's, that seems pretty clear. What do you expect to see from Tobias Harris this year? I mean, he basically has improved every year of his career. I didn't care as much for the trade when they made it because I thought he was a little bit redundant offensively with some of the guys they had and, and, and was his defense is a problem but now that they've got all these other guys around him i'm not as worried about that but can he step up to be the primary scorer for this group at the end of games or is that just not what he's able to do yeah i mean it's it's it wasn't his role with the clippers that frequently went to lou williams and it wasn't really his role here in philadelphia as that went to largely butler and Embiid. so it would be a you know it would be an addition to his game you know i think what would concern me about him sort of ramping up you know can, can he get back into that 18 to 20 point per game score on better efficiency like he went through a, a pretty big sh- shooting slump towards the end of the season and in the playoffs here in philly i expect him to be better can he become sort of more than that though into that that really go-to guy down the stretch at maybe 22 24 point per game score to me it's not even about points i want to see more in terms of shot creation for others i want to see him get the free throw line more and those are two things he's never really done in abundance in the league and i think they're sort of the two you know i know he can get to his pull-up spot off the pick and roll can he can he draw that defender and kick it out can he find the corners can he make the skip pass can he get the free throw line that's where i'd love to see his growth it's not even really about points the sixers have enough enough depth in terms of scoring that they will find ways to score but i mean can you force rotation and i'd like to see a little bit more out of that you know he came into camp he looks good physically uh it looks like he's lost a little bit of weight looks like he's put on some muscle he's he's looks good but he needs to there's sort of like that just that little bit of creation that i'd like to see out of him and i mean he's improved so much every year that you keep an open mind but it, those are just two aspects he's never really had that i'd love to see yeah his improvement has always kind of been incremental in a bunch of different areas and he's he's kind of a jack of all trades master of none in some ways offensively and so you can see him making out right, another incremental improvement in all these areas but it is to, at least to me hard to envision him really taking the steps where all right you know we're gonna just throw it to this guy and let him go at the end of games i mean i think you can run some plays for him here and there uh but uh, 
and I think you know may it may just have to be offense by committee at the end of games and you know that's that's good sometimes but also it could look really ugly I mean those few possessions I think it was the end of game seven where you know they had I think three possessions in a row where they really just didn't get a shot because they're like trying to run stuff and it just got blown up and they were just stuck at the end so uh you know I mean trying to run that stuff is nice but you can have a payoff at the end of games it can also just look really ugly whereas pick and roll with Jimmy Butler it's probably at least going to get you a shot at the basket that has a 40 percent chance of going in so it's uh I'm really interested to see how he gets used I I don't think that he's going to take you know in terms of his usage or getting to the basket or the free throw line that that he necessarily has that in him despite the fact he's made such great strides in his career yeah no I agree I mean if if he comes out and plays really if he comes out and he makes shots like I don't think he's going to be like a 1a on the perimeter I think it's going to be a little bit by committee um I think we're going to see a lot of a lot of Embiid and then a lot of sharing it around who is Harris going to guard? Uh, Do you think he'll just be hidden on on whoever the worst yeah. uh, offensive player is for the other team in the perimeter? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the benefits of the Sixers' size and versatile size is that you have someone like Ben Simmons who can realistically defend one through four. Uh, you have someone like Josh Richardson who could defend one through three. And you have just a lot of versatility. And that those two right there might be your best, besides being 6'6 six, six and 6'10, six, they might also be your best point guard defender. So you can sort of just hide Tobias one through four whoever has the weakest weakest offensive game and i think that will help the sixers you know he's if he's your fifth best defender which i mean he very clearly is because the other four could legitimately you know at various points of their careers or even this year challenge for an all defensive team if he's your fifth best defender then you know i think i think they'll find a way to to hide him but he is certainly the weakest yeah and i don't think he really got taken advantage of last year in the playoffs again maybe against teams uh, toronto was pretty limited they couldn't hit any shots uh you know first round the nets i mean i think that the nets a little bit early on in that series were able to expose some weaknesses with, with this group although weaknesses that i think adding josh richardson are, are really and al horford is really going to help um so and they were defending well by by the end of that series and they're just you know, there are uh, maybe boston is a team that you'd think could potentially give them a, a little bit of trouble trouble with the pick and roll of walker but they've got josh richardson to guard him i mean he's really you know one of one of the best options there especially if he gets back more to defending which i expect him to after having to maybe take on a larger offensive load with miami that, that he was able to handle last year um I think they match up with the Bucs. I mean, that's really, you know, everyone's talking about those two at the top of the conference. If you go into that series, what are some of their advantages and disadvantages against, against Milwaukee? Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting because I, th- I think you could probably make a case with Kawhi heading out west that in terms of people in the Eastern Conference capable of, of defending Kawhi, you know, Horford and Embiid defended him pretty well last year. And I remember watching the, the playoff series and you're going, wow. Oh, Giannis, Giannis, you mean? Yes, what, what are they yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, in terms of defending Giannis, Horford and Embiid, at various points have defended them pretty well. And, you know, I remember watching that series and you, I, you watch it and you, wow, Al's really you know, Al's really playing him well. And then you look at the stats and it didn't necessarily yeah. show that, but if you can have two guys like that, and I think, I think big men centers, people of center size, you know, I think a lot of teams are going to that with Giannis, you know, the Sixers did that last year with Embiid and he had some success on him. I don't think the Sixers want to do that for 50, 55 possessions a game with Embiid because you just worry about whether or not Embiid can do that. And also then shoulder the offensive load that he would have. But now that you have Horford, you know, I think they have pretty reasonable options unless Giannis comes out and starts shooting threes and then, the league doesn't have an option and shooting threes really well but i think and i mean look nobody's gonna stop a Giannis centered attack but i think the sixers have two guys who can you know al is so good at playing the angles and 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 reading what he's going to do and getting in position and just making those shots tough and i think they're i think they're pretty well equipped equipped 
to handle a player that's almost impossible to handle one-on-one. I think you almost have to put him beat on it. And that's a, the conclusion a lot of coaches came to because you got Brooke Lopez out there. And I don't think Embiid can guard Brooke Lopez as a three-point line. And if he does, then his impact at, at the hoop is really muted. If he's guarding Giannis, who you don't have to guard off the ball, then when they run some other stuff, he can still be in help position. And Horford, in theory, has the, the mobility to get out there on Lopez. I mean, you, you could even consider going with uh, one of your smaller guys on Lopez as well and say, hey, you want to dare Brooke Lopez to post up? Well, we've still got, uh, we've still got Joel Embiid to help yeah. there if we need yeah. to. Yeah, so um, yeah, and I think if that series happens, it's going to be like an absolute defensive bloodbath rock fight whatever other cliche you want to use i think both teams are really going to struggle to score against each other yeah yeah no i mean i i think that would be you know the two games they played down the stretch were really fun to watch um it was it's always fun watching sort of teams dare and bead and Giannis to shoot from the perimeter because you get to a point where it's like they know they need to take that shot but if they start off one for seven are they comfortable shooting 12 threes that are given to them and both coaches sort of didn't deviate from their game plan and it's, it's a game of who blinks first and you know there's so much you know i think the sixers got deeper this year i don't think their depth is perfect you know i think they have a deep roster of defenders but it's a it's i mean it's, it's a very tough task to, to defend Giannis and those shooters it would be fun to watch that chess match over a seven game series and whether or not the sixers can just make enough shots from the perimeter that, that they'll be given yeah and it seemed like last year the strategy in those regular season games against the bucks which did have some playoff style intensity i would say uh was all right we're gonna let Giannis get his and you know hopefully they're not going to have uh, a Boban Marjanovic type trying to guard I mean that's when Giannis really went off I thought Embiid did okay against him in those games you know I think he put up like 45 and 51 or whatever it was in those two games but it seemed like they kind of had to pick their poison there because they were so worried about the shooters whereas I think this year they have the type of length and athleticism where they can kind of play it more the way Toronto did last year where if you're able to actually collapse in and still get out on the shooters pretty well I think you know, with Richardson Simmons like those guys can really cover a, a lot of ground and also i think with the personnel they have now to free ben simmons from having to guard Giannis, which i think he really struggled at i mean Giannis, as amazing as it is to say like overwhelmed simmons physically uh you know having simmons be able to kind of roam around uh, as a terror maybe he guards eric bledsoe and, and he can do a lot of helping he's great as as a help defender with his instincts i think that could look really good for philly so i'm i would pick the bucks in that series i think they would be a little bit better regular season team and they would have home court but i I could very easily see Philly winning it personally. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I mean, it was in, uh, that was maybe my main takeaway from when they played twice down the stretch last year was that Ben Simmons just he didn't have a chance defending Giannis. And I mean, Ben Simmons I think has become one of the more versatile defenders, certainly in the Eastern Conference. Like I thought, what he he played extremely well in the playoffs against D'Angelo Russell and Kawhi Leonard. And when you can sort of have a player who can defend and look, Kawhi still got his. Like he he was amazing that series. But he was making a lot of really tough shots. If you have a player who can defend both of those styles of players like he's a he's a, he's a pretty good defender and it Giannis just bullied him and it, it he didn't spend that much time on him but every time he was Giannis sort of you could you could see his eyes light up and he really took advantage anytime anyone other than than Embiid was on him um you know it was Brown Brett Brown has talked about being a little more aggressive in his rotations offensively whether that's trapping a ball handler on a pick and roll or whether that's you know sending help down uh, off of shooters on the perimeter like he, I think he feels a little more confident not only in the athletes that he has defensively and their ability to recover but also I think in the decision making he has on his squad with Horford and with Josh Richardson so I would expect them to be a little bit more aggressive than they were last year but like I said both in pick and roll defense and helping off of shooters and I do think that could come up come, come into play against the Bucks. 
you know, is I would if you had to ask me to handicap who will win more games in a regular season, I think Milwaukee will. If you had to ask me who is a better team, I think I might pick Milwaukee. Although I think it's it's really close. But I do think the Sixers have, you know, I think first of all, I think Embiid can have success, and I think they have enough different looks that they can throw at Giannis where they might have a chance to not even really slow him down, but maybe prevent him from going supernova in a playoff series to give them a chance. I would I would say it's going to be six or seven games either way. But I would, I, I mean, without having seen this team play, it's real tough because there's so many changing pieces. But I think the Sixers have a real shot. If you look at some of the teams that have kind of overperformed in the playoffs over the years, that have defied predictions in some respects, I would put actually last year's Sixers in the second round in that category, even though they lost to Toronto. I mean, that like people, people still, I think, don't realize how unbelievably good that Toronto team was, like mm-hmm. especially on defense. And yeah, Toronto had some injuries with Siakam and and. Kawhi and they they shot unsustainably poorly probably in that series as well so me but i mean most i picked that series in five coming in and a lot of the times that i've been wrong in my playoff series predictions i think it's been because i just didn't quite acknowledge what it means to just have so much length and size and athleticism on the floor and you know that starts with Embiid simmons uh even even harris you know he's he's not a great defender but he still has a a lot of size and so there just wasn't a lot of places to attack and now that i mean they've almost uh, you know exponentially more in that direction or you look at like the 2016 okc golden state series where people are saying all right golden state's gonna win this in five and you know they barely scraped by because it's just that level of length and athleticism and force can just have an effect on these teams where you see how they play against everyone else and all of a sudden everything that they want to do isn't there and it totally confounds things so that's why i think i i very easily could see this philly team even if they have kind of a middling regular season turning it up defensively in the playoffs and you just be like oh shit like these guys you just can't do anything against these guys yeah no i have i have a lot more confidence and part of that was you know jimmy butler during the regular season didn't look like he was fully engaged defensively so this team you had butler who was sort of in and out in terms of engagement you had reddick who could be picked on at times tobias wasn't a great defender and then you had no option off the bench to replace Embiid, and his team just never had that bite defensively and it was maybe one of the biggest letdowns of last season uh, because i think they were top three i want to say two years ago they were they were pretty high in, in the league a couple of years ago yeah and when Embiid was on they were you know they're talking about him as defensive player yeah. of the year he's like you know best in the league levels when he was on the floor so i think i think this year you know i think one of the biggest terms of excitement for sixers fans you expect them to get back to that and i i do agree with you the length that they have the mobility that they have and this the decision making that they have i think should really bode well and going back to the bias you know like you said he's big enough you can throw him on a mark assault if the scheme calls for it and mark wasn't really looking to be a post scorer in that series you can get away with that whereas a smaller weaker defender you probably couldn't so it, you you do have some options even in your you know below average defenders well, and also you throw into that Josh Richardson and Al Horford, they're going to play hard on defense all the yes. time, every night, right? I mean, you know, I think Joel, he's kind of, he could be laissez-faire sometimes, so can Simmons. But I think with those two guys in the mix, they, they may, you know, and especially with, with Horford's leadership, uh, I think that they can get a more consistent effort out of Embiid and out of Simmons this year as well. Yeah. Yep. Um. So let's actually here. Let's take a quick break first, and then we can uh, we can talk about the, so the rest of the rotation with NBA season upon us. As you are listening to this, Zion Williamson has played his first preseason game. There's only one way to get NBA tickets in my mind, and that is 
through SeatGeek. That's what I use when I am going to games. As a fan, I go to a game in Milwaukee every year with my wife. We always get really good tickets. And not only do we save money with SeatGeek, which aggregates a bunch of ticket selling sites together, but we also save time because you can just look in the general area you want to sit in. You see that big, cathartic, dark green dot. You know that that is the best value per their algorithm, which uh, Danny worked in the ticket business. He's uh, in agreement with the, the way that algorithm works. And so you click on those seats and you buy it. You don't have to worry that you're getting a worse deal than that seat that's available three rows to the side and one row up, but it is $25 more expensive. Like, is it worth it or not? Like SeatGeek's algorithm helps tell you that. And with SeatGeek, every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop with confidence. They have over 50,000 five-star reviews and they'll even give you $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Of course, if you've been listening to this show for a while, you've used SeatGeek many times, no doubt, because they were the inaugural sponsor of the podcast back in the summer of 2015. We've had a long partnership with them. But if you are trying SeatGeek for the first time, you can get $10 off that first SeatGeek purchase using the familiar promo code CAPSPACE. Easy to remember because we talk about it all the time here on the program. Get $10 off your first purchase using that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us with SeatGeek. So the starters, this top five, very, very clear. Big drop off even when you go to the first guy off the bench. Who do you think are going to be guys, you know, six through nine this year in, in terms of minutes played for this group? Yeah, it's it's on the one hand in Sixers land, this is the deepest team they've had in a long time. And on the other hand, your top two reserves are still Mike Scott and James Ennett. So <laughs> yeah. it, it, it might be better than that we're accustomed to here in Philadelphia, but it's still not. You're not you're not talking about a Clippers level bench. Here. So, you know, those two guys are, are your top ones. I think in the regular season when they don't want Al playing too much center, I think Kylo Quinn is going to be in that mix as well. You know, and then you have a lot of interesting, like I think the Zaire Smith, Matisse Thibel battle will be interesting. You know, I think they're two really good defensive prospects who we have to see whether or not they're going to shoot at a high enough level, but they're also very different defenders. Like, you know, Brett Brown the other day compared Zaire Smith to an Avery Bradley kind of one-on-one defender. And I think, I think Smith has more, you know, he's only six, three, six, four, but he has pretty long arms and he's a really freak athlete. So I think he has more off-ball potential than a Bradley does, more switchability than a Bradley does, but he's more of like your on-ball stopper prospect, whereas Thibel is your free safety, off-ball, you know, sort of wrecking ball. And I think seeing which one of those two, if either of those two, like can make enough shots and can be good enough in their decision-making to break into that rotation would really help them. Like, I think they could really still use that one more yeah. real legitimate 3 and D guy because for as good as James Ennis was at times in the playoffs last year, he's still an inconsistent shooter, still not as good of a defender as I think we expect him to be or we look at him and think he will be. They could really use that one, one real playmaker. And then the point guard battle uh, between Trey Burke and Howell Nato, which talk about contrasting styles of play. You know, it'll be interesting to see which one of those two wins out. And I think, you know, that's another one where I could see at times, you know, when Ben Simmons is off the court, the six or seven minutes in the playoffs, maybe asking Josh Richardson to run a little point, something where you don't have to force feed Howell Nato into a rotation just because you need a ball handler. I think Brett might look at that too. But I think in a regular season, I sort of expect Nato to win just based off of what Brown wants out of his backup point guard spot. And I do think he's an upgrade over TJ McConnell, who, you know, gave the team some good minutes at times, but was just physically overmatched and added another non-shooter on the floor that you, you it's hard to do when you already have Ben Simmons up. Yeah, Neto maybe not as strong as TJ, no. but I think he at least could make a standstill three. He's not a, a high volume guy and does bring a, a similar energy, a, a similar ethos of, all right, he's not going to finish at the rim, but he's at least going to get into the lane off pick and roll, dash under the basket, try and find people, give them some offensive pace 
in the half court. I worry a little bit about his ability to stay healthy. That I think was, was sure. the biggest thing that kind of yep. torpedoed uh, his Jazz career. And I, I do think it's interesting. And going back to the playoffs, the idea of are Neto and Burke going to play at all, or you know, do they get someone else in there as well uh, in the buyout market or whatever? But because the theory of this team defensively as we're going to have size and length and athleticism at every position do you say well we you know all right yeah we might struggle offensively but you know we're going to bring in Thibel we're going to bring in Smith we're going to bring in NSM you know maybe Josh Richardson will run the point and you know, he'll he'll have to throw it into a beat because they'll probably stagger and beat in Simmons again, and that'll be how you you eke out enough offense. But we're still gonna have no holes defensively. Or do you say, hey, we got enough length around these guys, we can get away with a a, a Burke or a Neto? I, I guess it'll probably depend on the Nettos. But I to me, I think I would probably rather just try to stay big and just say, hey, you just you're just not gonna score on us, and you know we got Joel Embiid. He's a superstar. He should be able to bail us out enough uh, to give us a decent offensive performance if you're not scoring on us at all. Yeah, and I think. I think that's one where the development of Zaire Smith and Matisse Leibel will, will come into play. Like if one of those proves that they can play in the, the postseason, you know, then that's, I think, where you could see one both of those point guards sort of bumped out of the rotation. So I think, and I mean, to your point, buyout market, trade market, uh, Sixers don't have a whole lot yeah. in terms of trade uh, flexibility. Although that's what we said last year about the buyout market, too, and they didn't that's get true. shit. So that's true. <laughs> it was, I think uh, they were probably saying that internally, too. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, and it was really, it, you know, again, they could have won that series if they'd just gotten a little bit more uh, from the bench but uh you know that's that's water under the uh under the bridge at this point so um do you have a feeling of whether Thibel or Smith is going to be the one to seize that rotation role yeah it's a good it's a good question I think Smith I think I think they're going to give them both a chance to sort of make an impression early on in the season like Brett Brown has said that he's going to go with a you know a, a 10 or maybe even 11 man rotation but I think who those 11 players are could change night to night like one night I could see it being you know Neto and Thibel and the next minute could be Burke and Smith you know I think if I think it in, in large part comes down to which young kid do you have a little more confidence in their shot. And I think right now that would probably be Matisse Thibel. He struggled during his senior season at Washington, but he was a, a pretty dependable shooter before that. You know, I think he's looked pretty good so far here in training camp. And I think his off-ball defense and his his multi-positional defense, if he can shoot, I could see him sort of winning that spot. Whereas I think I think Zaire Smith is still a little bit of development away. But I I mean, I think a large large part is going to be which come which one comes out and makes shots. I think it's going to be a huge factor. Yeah, and I would say that Thibel to me is the better bet to do that based on the track record i mean smith was really a non-shooter and you know I, I, he's made some strides but he also ha- had that terrible allergic reaction last year uh and lost some development time and i thought thibel really for as i wasn't really that familiar with his offensive game i thought in summer league his jumper looked pretty good yep. to me uh you know and, and he could at least put the ball on the floor and get in the lane i mean it's not gonna make a spectacular finish but he looked like he could at least wasn't just a complete disaster doing yep. that and then yeah go ahead Oh, I was just gonna say, and in, in spite of being a rookie, like he's a four-year college player, and he he carries himself like one too. He looks like he doesn't look like the moment is too big for him yet. Not for yeah, a small I, role player role. At least. Sure, and I think I mean to me, my comparison for his defense is former Sixer Robert Covington. Yep. Maybe not that great on the ball, not that strong, but just you know makes a ton of plays off the ball, and especially for for this team that I think can really use some points in transition. That was so terrible at forcing turnovers a, a year ago. I think. 
can provide something whereas smith yeah i would would agree with the, what you're saying about how he seems like he might be more of an on ball stopper type but they've got plenty of those guys uh, already here and he's just you know he's even after uh having been in the league for a year he's probably way less experienced than thibault and he's way younger so i'm uh and i'm not quite as much of a believer in the shot so yeah i would think it, it would be thibault and, and it seems like uh that's the direction it's heading but it could be possible that neither of them are in the rotation yep. due to personnel upgrades once and, we get to the playoffs. Uh, unfortunately, the comparison for Thibault's handle would also be Robert Covington, which is an area <laughs> he needs to work on a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that 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 makes sense. Um, yeah, so Mike Mike Scott to me is kind of the other place that they might want to upgrade, just because I I worry a little bit. I mean, he brings shooting, and that's basically about it to me uh and you know he's got some size he, he was able to fit in okay when they were trying to switch last year but he is kind of i think a, a guy who can be attacked so maybe that's another place they'd look to upgrade but again i think there'll be you know a marquee morris type on the on the buyout market that they might be able to go get as a as opposed to him who, who could be potentially an upgrade um, yeah he's i mean he's he's you know i think his shooting is valuable especially on his team next to Embiid and with simmons on the court i do think you would like the a little better of a defender in his spot and getting his minutes so certainly you could see you know i you could see if, if the buyout market is strong i could i could see that and with the Sixers' size like they don't have to go out and necessarily look for a power forward like you can Ben Ben Simmons defensively can def- can guard power forwards. Tobias Harris can guard power forwards. So they have a lot of flexibility in that regard. All right, let's do a little lightning run here. Give me just like 15, 20 seconds on the guys uh, on the rest of the roster, what their role might be this year. Let's okay. start with Jonah Bolt. Uh, not much, not much. You know, I think I think Jonah like 15, 20 seconds. He came out and he said that the one thing he learned last year was was how important attention to detail is, and I, you'd need to see a big jump from him to get ahead of Kylo Quinn in the rotation. Shake Milton. You know, I think. They they tried to really build him up as a point guard last year and during summer league. You know, I think he's going to have to be an off ball player to succeed. Uh, he needs to make a lot of shots. I'm not sure how much he's going to create. I don't think he's going to be in the rotation too much. Yeah, I, I think I would be in agreement there. Uh, Furkan Korkmaz again. He needs to make shots. Um, he said he claims to have put on you know like forty ish pounds since he arrived in Philadelphia, which I'm not sure I see. But he came into Philadelphia at like six eight one seventy five. He still needs to get stronger. Needs to make shots. I do think Brown likes the fact that he's been in the system. But again, I expect Thibel or Smith, especially Thibel, to beat out beat him out in the rotation. Uh, and how about uh the two way guys, uh, Shayak and uh, Norville Pell, or is it Pell or Pelly? Pell. Uh, Pell. They like Shayak shooting. Uh, you know, we'll see. I haven't yeah. really. Seen he was him. draining him in summer league. He was, and he's he's looked good shooting the ball in camp too. Is he a good enough athlete? And is the rest of his game rounded out well enough where if he's not making you know forty percent of his catch and shoot shots that he can play? I don't know about that, but I think yeah. they I think they like his shooting. Yeah, um, but maybe he will. Um, and then Pella, I thought actually like had some pretty good moments in summer league as well. It gives him a little bit of that athletic element, maybe more of a speed center. I mean, again, these are two way guys. I'm not going to go crazy about him, but uh, I, I thought he was a, a good good use of that two-way slot yeah i mean he's he's he he gives you something around the rim he gives you something as a role man sixers have some depth now at center with Embiid and o'quinn and horford and then even bolden who i think can play some center if he if he sort of picks up the defensive rotations of it um so i i don't expect much out of him but i think he is a decent use of that spot we barely mentioned the name joel Embiid at all he took a major step forward last year when healthy was playing at i would say a slightly sub mvp level i think people 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 in Philly would argue with me they were not happy with my ranking of the top 10 players in the NBA, but a lot of that was based on health, which turned out he wasn't healthy in the playoffs. Um, but 
where is it realistic for him to get better this season oh i mean it's it's to me it's turnovers and bad shots like there is no way he should be shooting 48 percent from the field he's he's too dominant to be doing that and i think a lot of people will look at the three-pointers and i think he should be taking three to four three-pointers a game i don't have a problem with that and i think eventually he's going to be a 35 36 percent three-point shooter now i think part of that comes down to conditioning like i think he i think when his legs go i think his shot goes so i think he needs to get in better shape but i look at his touch i look at his free throws I look at the way the ball comes off his hand from three-point line. I think he's eventually going to get there in his career. So I want him to keep taking that, especially on the team where you want to get Ben Simmons in the post. But I, it, to me, it's it's some of the four shots in the paint. It's some of the you know recognition of double teams. It's, it's passing out and reposting. It's, you know, re- seeing the help coming and passing early rather than sort of getting yourself too deep and surrounded without a real outlet. It's to me, it's, it's all about that record. I don't care if he averages more points per game, but if he shoots 51%, gets to the free throw line, he gets the free throw line enough and cuts down on his turnovers. That to me is the next evolution of his game. And in, in addition to playing more, um, playing more down the stretch and being healthier in the, in the finals. To me, those are really the three things. Like if you can just cut, and is, I mean, his turnovers have gone in the right way, like in the right direction. I forget exactly what his turn. Here it is. It's uh yeah, it went from 18%, which was just way too much, to 13.2% last year. If he can trim that down a little bit more and, and increase his good shots, that to me is the next evolution. I want to see what happens with his face-up game. I think yep. that's very important, especially at the end of games, where I, I've been critical of him for going to that a little bit too much, especially like the pump fake and drive from the three-point line. I thought that's where he would get a lot of his turnovers, where he's just too slow off the dribble. Guys would dig down, take it away from him. Um, but, you know, and maybe it's more you can't get a post up, but you can catch the ball at 20 feet and back down on the wing and, and draw double team help at the end of games but that's i mean that's going to be really important there's this idea that you can't go to a big man at the end of games because it's too hard to get him the ball well you know sometimes maybe they don't try hard enough or maybe those big men have to have a little bit more versatility in terms of where they can catch the ball and attack so yeah they're not probably going to run a lot of pick and roll this year unless you want tobias harris to be the guy and so you know he's the big star like can to me there's a lot of pressure on simmons obviously but i think he's got a limit in what he can do in the half court to me it's is joel Embiid really going to be able to be the guy they go to at the end of games we haven't seen a lot of bigs be able to do that you know maybe since even like akeem elijah but he he believes that he's that level of player and, and that's where i think he can try to show that yeah, and he's he's talked a lot this fall about having spent time working on his ball handling and working on his face-up game. I do agree that's a good way for him to get shots, especially with the lack of a pick-and-roll creator. It would be great to, you know, he's never really looked comfortable as a role man off the pick-and-roll. He takes a little bit of time to gather himself around the rim, but he's also never really had a great pick-and-roll distributor either, like somebody who would come off of that screen and draw attention and maybe open up some space for him to roll to the rim. They don't have that again this year. You're not going to run too much with Tobias Harris, Ben Simmons. It's tough because he can't and won't shoot. So you sort of have to make up for that. And I certainly agree that, you know, sort of like that 17 foot and in face up game where he has a lot of different moves that he can go to, whether it's a back down or a pure face up in a drive. You know, I think if he can come and be a better, better ball handler and also a little bit more decisive, like there are times where he will just take one or two X too many dribbles and give defense time to rotate over to him, be a little bit more decisive improve his handles. He, it's going to be tough. It's tough for a big man to be that go-to guy, but the Sixers really don't have too many options and it will be a, it'll be interesting to see how he figures that out any big strengths you see for this group that we haven't talked about yet obviously the length the defense uh, all that stuff uh, we've hit on here but anything we haven't mentioned that you think could be a a real strength of this group i mean they should they should dominate the glass uh that is something they were pretty good at last year and then they inexplicably had some defensive rebounding issues against toronto in game seven 
but they should be real good on the glass. I think the additions uh, they made in the offseason should help with that. You know, I think it'll be interesting to see whether or not this team can generate a little bit more corner threes. Like that's something I think because of the lack of pick and roll ball handler, they don't really do all that well. But I think they have a number. You know, I think what you lost in gravity in, in JJ Redick, I think they have a little bit more shooting depth. So it'd be interesting to see whether or not they can really generate those looks. You know, I think this team should force more turnovers. And that was something where they it's not like that's going to be a strength of this team. But they were so bad at that last year, especially when you have a team now that might struggle a little bit in the half quarter, at least struggle a little bit when you're talking about an MVP or an NBA Finals sort of goal. You know, can you generate some more easy looks? If you if you go to Cleaning the Glass, uh, a great site by Ben Falk, they were really good at converting or at, at, at um, creating chances when they did force a turnover, but they forced so few turnovers that it didn't. It, they didn't rank near towards the top of the league in, in points generated. So can you generate more points and unlock Ben Simmons? Because I think this team really should be able to run when they get out and break, but they need to get out on the break more often. So I think I think that's something where again they should be real good at converting those. Questions is can they generate what about weaknesses i mean shot creation is is an enormous question yeah. mark dribbling yes we, we <laughs> i was playing a game with my co-host on, on sixers beat which you mentioned earlier rich hoffman how many people do you have to take away before zaire smith is your best ball handler and it's it's a little bit depressing how how short that list is um they do not have much in terms of perimeter shot creation in terms of really just perimeter skill set and you know i think this team when you look at the size, I think they have a lot more mobility than you would expect for a team that, that that's that tall and that strong and, and, and really is it has that many post players. Players that if you had to lump them into a position, you would say there are four or five. But I think where that weakness comes in is ball handling. Another one I, I would point to, which uh, we hit on a ton the last couple of years, but after they got Jimmy Butler wasn't as much of a concern, is turnovers. And I mean, Ben Simmons just has an unacceptably high turnover rate for his role. Now, granted, I mean, he gets out of transition, you're going to turn over a little more in transition, but I mean, 19% turnovers for as little like just one-on-one creation as he's asked to do, to me, is just way too high. That's obviously a big problem with Joel. I mean, those are, in theory, your two biggest guys, you know, Harris and Horford help with that a little bit you know so it's not going to be back in the day when they're these guys are younger and they're just an automatic 30th in the nba in turnovers for a couple of years with the charge covington group and but i do think they're not going to have a ton of spacing and they don't have a ton of guys you can just run low risk pick and roll iso type of plays so i, I do think that's still going to be a problem for them yeah yep i would expect this team to lead the league or be right there in the number of passes per game and also be certainly bottom 10 in terms of turnovers and if they can get anywhere above that i think it'd be a real good real good mark for them all right you ready to uh do some predictions here i I know this is always the most the most fun part of this i have not thought too much about predicting the season yet but i will give it a shot and really what i'm doing there is i'm trying to build in a little bit of an excuse for when they inevitably suck (laughs) well i'll start off i went under their 54 and a half over under uh i'm gonna go with 53 wins uh, for this group and I mean, again, it's tough to use last year as a a baseline considering just how different they were overall. But, you know, they were really a a high 40s win point differential last year. So 53 wins would actually be a step forward. Again, you know, they're they're more talented. They probably should take that. But I do expect the load management to come into play. I think the Bucs will be far enough ahead of them that they're going to take that pretty easy. And I also don't think they're going to feel much pressure from behind to hold on to the second seed. So my expectations are going to be kind of 
are right in there uh 53 wins but you know maybe nobody else in the east wins 50 and the bucks are a few games ahead of them so they kind of can just settle into that area uh i don't know what, what do you think yeah i mean that that's the, the great problem with this question right like what's their motivation going to be down a stretch and I mean, there's a whole lot of other factors in there too like what's joel Embiid's health like a big reason that their point differential was so low last year is because Embiid played maybe half the games after the all-star break uh so they missed a lot of time with him they you know what what's their health like how much are they pushing for the number one seed are they in position to challenge for the number one seed is there anyone behind them there's just there's so many factors there that's difference between like 53 and 56 wins i'm not sure it comes down to predicting their talent level it comes down to predicting yeah. a lot of factors i would say and would, and the bench is kind of below average too you know so, so i think miles if they're better not, than last year <laughs> yeah yeah they but if have, they're not pushing if joel misses time it, you know I, I think they're they don't have kind of the buffer zone yeah. with someone like butler to, to carry the offense if joel is out so that that's another concern as well to me yeah, I mean, I, I think I think having playable options in 2019 behind Joel will help them a lot. Like, I think that that really hurt them throughout really all of last season. I will say over. I'll say 55 or 56. But it's okay. like I said, it, anywhere from 52 to 57, it's going to come down to a lot of circumstance. What do you think they rank in offense and defense? Uh, defense, I'll say two. I do think they'll be a top three team defense. Yeah, I think when they are when they have all their guys on the floor i think they'll be the best defense in the nba yeah. um you know and that and i guess i mean their bench is pretty damn good defensively it too is. so so yeah i mean I, I think i probably would have to pick them to be number one I, I have them in milwaukee in a tier by themselves as the top two defenses in the league but i think they've got they definitely got more of a ceiling defensively than milwaukee again it's just a question of how hard they're gonna push to me during the during the regular season yeah. then yeah and my, my, my two was yeah, uh, taking my three and splitting the difference. And I mean, they could be anywhere. Sure. Offensively, that's a, I mean, that's, that's, that's question. Like, can they get into top eight territory? I think that would be a pretty good accomplishment. I think they're probably more looking like nine through 12 range, somewhere in there. That's the exact tier that I had them in when I did it. But my third tier is nine through 12 and okay. I have them right, right in there. Yeah. It's, it's, I think that's going to be, you know, I think, I do think they're going to first force more turnovers and I think they're going to get out on the break. I do think they have, have fewer non-shooters which i think is important but i just i i worry and i mean they might some games they might be up so who knows even like this is a team last year that really didn't get any blowouts which is why that that um expected win you referenced earlier was so low it's 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 a great question i, w- I would say nine through 12 though somewhere in there yeah i guess one thing i want to talk about it what do you think like al horford's role is going to be on offense is he going to just be kind of reduced to a spot-up shooter just because they need that from that position yeah i mean i think that's what he's going to be doing a lot like i I think when you really would have gotten into interesting al horford play offensively is when he's playing at the five and you can sort of put him at the top of the key and ask him to facilitate a lot with his his shooting and his passing and and maybe get some high low stuff going with ben simmons but how much are they going to run that how much they're going to put kylo quinn at center and keep al at the power forward spot like i think that's when his role gets interesting but i do think you know i I think we're going to see a lot of Al in the corner uh which you know isn't maybe the best use of him but it's also a role that he will happily embrace um best case scenario i mean best case scenario i would say 57 58 wins like i think if they're healthy and bead plays 70 plus games which i'm not sure is necessarily should be the goal but i think it's a goal that they could have and if they all click and they have that defense that we think i think they could i mean this is not the strongest eastern conference we've ever seen especially once you get past the bucks so i think i think best case they could push that that number 
number of wins. Yeah, I would go as high as 60, actually, personally. Yeah. I think they could kind of be what that 2010-11 Bulls team was. Just, you know, best defense in the league and then passable offense, kind of beat you up on the board to get, get enough to be, you know, number 10 in offense or something. But their defense is just so good that that number one really is like, you know, better than your typical number one in terms of how much better they are than the rest of the league. And so I could see them getting the 60 wins. Absolutely. Yep. No, and it'll be, that brings up a, you know, I'm interested to see how good their transition defense is. Like Brett Brown has talked about using his size to advantage. He's talked about crashing the offensive glass more than Mm. they have in recent time. And you get that from the perspective of you want to use your size to your advantage. But there's a reason the NBA has trended away from that. And I wonder how much they really pursue those boards and how much of that might just be preseason talk. Like, I, I sort of feel yeah. like if they get run off the floor a couple times here early in the season, we could see a change in that strategy. But it'll be something to watch. I think it's actually going to work OK, because I think the Al Horford is probably not going to really be a part of that process. You know, he's right. always going to be more away from the rim so he can get back for you and he can. You know, we've seen how good he can be guarding guys in transition having that second guy i've always felt like the number one aspect of transition defense is getting your bigs back to protect the rim so your smalls who you know your point guard who gets back isn't just getting overwhelmed by someone running at him and so i think al will do that and then simmons and bead you know those will be the guys hitting the class instead but if you have al back that that can really help so i don't know we'll see it we'll see how that plays out but i wouldn't and horford has never really been a big offensive rebounder so i'd expect that especially if he's spacing out more doing dho's up up at the elbows that he'll just get back and hopefully joel i mean that's that's always been one of the more disappointing aspects to me of joel's game i thought he could just be an absolute terror on the offensive glass but just he has to do so much more that maybe he just doesn't have the energy for it. We'll see whether, in fact, you know, he can spend the energy there. I think that, like you said, it's there for the taking if they want to do it. Yep. Um, so yeah, worst case scenario, I'd go 48 wins. You know, Joel misses 20, 25 games. I mean, again, we, we don't do this if like, oh, Joel Embiid gets hurt on the first day of the season and misses the whole season. But if you just look at what guys' histories normally are, um, you know, Harris and Simmons, those guys stay healthy pretty well. Horford, yeah, he'll probably miss 15 or 20 games, but more, more due to kind of next you know he had, had that knee tendonitis last year that was a, a problem for him early in the year um so you know if Horford misses time if Embiid misses time it, it could be a little difficult for these guys it could I, th- I think as a a, a a bad scenario I think that's probably right around anything under 45 wins out well that's not like a a serious devastating long-term most of the season injury I would be stunned at a yeah. at anything 45 or below so I think 48 is probably a pretty good number there um you got time for one more question here real quick sure um this is a, you know a pretty public team now at this point in time but is there anything in the national coverage of the scene that you either disagree with or feel it is not being talked about enough hmm. that's a that's a really interesting question i don't Actually, I think this team is covered pretty fairly, which I think is probably weird. I probably have everybody in Philadelphia yelling at me right now. But I think <laughs> I think for the most part, like I think Sixers fans are sick of hearing about perimeter shot creation, but I think that's a real thing. I don't think that's something we in the media are making up. And you can listen to the Sixers talk about it and they'll come out. You'll ask them defensively and they're like, we should be the best defense in the league. And then you ask them offensively and they're like, well, we sh- we'll be fine. We'll figure it out. Like Joel will take a bigger step. We'll move the ball around. We'll share the ball. We'll figure it out. And when you go from number one in the league to we'll figure out like it's sort of a, a tacit acknowledgement that there's something there um no i actually think this team is covered pretty fairly i do yeah what about the the conception of Embiid? do you think you know i think a lot of people in philly would say yeah like this guy is like a top five player 
in the league when when healthy do you see it that way or do you see him kind of the next tier below that top tier no i i think he's just outside of the top five you know i think you can make a case that when he's at his best he impacts the game certainly at a top five level like i can i can say that but i think if you want to get into where nationally everybody is ranking Embiid in the top five hey he's got to do it in the playoffs and he's been great defensively in the playoffs but if you look at his numbers he has not performed well offensively especially in the second round of the playoff and if you want to get into that conversation you have to i mean it, it sounds sort of you know old sports takey but you have to do that at that stage and he just hasn't done it yet and i, I mean there's been a lot of reasons like i do think the uh you know facial facial fracture two years ago was outside of his control uh, getting sick last year was outside of it but he just hasn't done it and i do think he's got to take a, a step up as a a more efficient offensive player i think he takes too many plays off the table offensively to really have maybe quite the impact on offense that his his scoring suggests and i think on the other hand his defense is maybe underrated which i mean he's he's i don't know where he finished in defensive player of the year last year but i think he's i think he's a top two defender in the league in terms of impact so i think you know i think outside of the top five just outside of the top five is pretty fair for him i think he's capable of taking that next step you know i i, I think i said before last year that you know i think his improvement if you like if you wanted one area the sixers could take a jump it would be joel Embiid's improvement which sounded pretty stupid since he averaged like 24 points a game 24 and 11 or whatever the previous season but there's just so much raw untapped potential there i think the same could be true this year and that's not necessarily scoring more that's being on the court more that's being a little more mobile defensively and that's taking fewer plays off the table and if he does that then i think he will enter that top five category i would say most sixers fans probably think he's a top five player right now and i i sort of get that because i do think his impact defensively is game-changing i think it is it, it is the stuff that you build a defense around but i think he needs to take a couple of small steps before he's truly there yeah i would agree with you there especially just in terms of projected health which has to be a a, a part of those uh, analyses and i agree with you on the playoffs too and it's not like oh well he just doesn't mentally have what it takes like it's not that no. it's just playoff basketball is different you're playing against tougher opponents like there are different things that you need to succeed in the playoffs versus in the regular season and he hasn't shown that he can do that quite yet yep and it'll be interesting now that the you know what happens with the the raptors um marcus all was a really tough matchup for him he was sick he was dealing with the tonight so it'll be see interesting to see how many teams are really equipped to handle him defensively and maybe that helps him right there and that's all he needs but he does need to have a better a better second round yeah i mean he he's one of these guys where the difference in guarding him between bad defense and good defense is you know one of the biggest in the league right because so much of what he can do is just overwhelm you physically get to the foul line get the shoulder pass he's so good at drawing the contact as well uh, against guys who aren't strong enough to handle him so yeah i mean he is and he can just make guys that are aren't don't have this i mean you know if he gets guarded by like daniel tice or something right, against boston right. it's like that guy's just got no chance against him he could make him look as bad as like any player can make a, a defender look but yeah if you really get someone with the size and mobility and you know there's maybe five guys like that in the league and now thank thankfully one of them is on his own team uh that it, it can look a lot worse and i'm very interested to see again you know when we get into a buck series of whether they can really they can deal with him or not yep it's sort of, and, i mean it's sort of like the ben simmons problem 75 percent of the league he doesn't need a jump shot for it because he can physically overwhelm you but the four or five or six teams that can match up with him physically tend to be the ones that are standing there in your way in the conference finals and there's some truth to that with him beat oh less less truth to that i feel like there are fewer great post defenders than there are guys who can 
match Simmons a little bit in the half court. So it it will be interesting. Uh, there aren't that many, you know, outside of Milwaukee, there aren't really that many teams that have a physical center and you expect them to be there at the end. So it'll, it'll be interesting. Yeah, and, and I think your thought now would be most likely outcome is they lose to the Bucks in the conference finals. That that would be mine. I, I would say they lose to them in seven would be my prediction now, you know, six months six months ahead of time. Yeah. Um like I said, I, I think the Sixers I, I could see the Bucks winning more games, but I think the Sixers have right around a fifty fifty chance, I think, against the Bucks. Yeah. It would yeah, I mean it would be great it, to play out. And if they have home court in that series, I would probably pick them. But I, I so, will I will that's say how close it is. Yeah, no. I, I think it might, that might that's a fair point. It might either need to be Sixers and Sixers bucks and seven but i would i'll yeah. pick i'll pick the sixers there and maybe i'm pandering right. a bit but who knows <laughs> well this is, a, this is a national audience <laughs> so, so yeah all right well thanks this was fantastic you can follow derek's work of course on the athletic and uh that sixers beat podcast uh, is excellent especially when uh some big sixers news happens so thanks for joining us man i appreciate it thank you my pleasure so before i go i wanted to say a little bit about this controversy with daryl morey and his tweet supporting the protests in hong kong for those who missed it, if anyone late Friday night, Mori on his way to Japan with the Rockets, I think he might have just landed, sent out a tweet that was supportive of the Hong Kong protests. I don't need to summarize uh, what the geopolitical situation is. And there was an immediate backlash with Tillman Fertitta saying the Rockets are not a political organization. We're here to play basketball. A huge backlash in China with the Rockets games being taken off of TV. A game with the Rockets G League affiliate and the Mavs G League affiliate has been canceled. And basically the Chinese government and frankly many Chinese citizens apparently were really upset with Mori's remarks, which of course as an American he has the, the right to say. And so now the NBA, which had largely skated clear of these issues, is embroiled in something in China that a number of American companies have had difficulty with, with an authoritarian regime that does not have freedom of the press, and they've got the great firewall, and basically they use their economic might to force you to play ball if you want to do business in China. And the NBA has largely avoided coming up on any issues that would have run afoul of the Chinese government. And again, to be clear, there are many people in China, it would seem, who are supportive of the Chinese government's position on this. But now the NBA has a real problem. And I wasn't surprised by their response. They're really, despite being a more public-facing organization, are a business. And like so many American businesses, they have sacrificed with some of the freedoms that we hold dear to appease the Chinese government and populace to some degree in order to do business and make money in China. So they came out, it seemed like, with the mealy-mouthed apology, non-apology, sorry to have offended people, Daryl Morey, it's his own personal account, he doesn't speak for the NBA and the Rockets, etc., type of statement, which is a little disappointing, I guess, to me, as someone who supports democracy and believes that the Chinese government should offer more democratic freedoms to its people, but was not surprised, and it's no different than what many, many other Americans and American companies are doing. When I felt they crossed the line was in their statement on their Weibo account, which, if you don't know, is basically Twitter behind the Great Firewall, because you can't get Twitter, legally at least, in China. And the statement that they made there, according to independent translations, characterized Maury's remarks as quote-unquote inappropriate, and also said that it had caused hurt feelings in China, which is a trope that apparently is often used by the Chinese government in their propaganda. So this is some real pandering, apparently, on the league's Weibo account. And so I tweeted about that 
last night that i thought once you if you want to do the whole all right you know we're not a political organization we're not taking size we're just here to rake in tons of cash all right that's fine that's what people do it's regrettable but i get it but once you go to the point of saying that maury's remarks were inappropriate not only you're taking a side just as much as maury is and you're taking the wrong side <laughs> like that's that's uh daryl maury is right like i think there should be more freedoms overall in china and certainly i support the people in hong kong who are trying to maintain and expand their own democratic freedoms so for the league to essentially say it's inappropriate that he made a comment supporting these protests that to me is really pretty shameful and of course, the, the league's clarification after a number of stories came out, including the, the AP, Washington Post, with that translation was there. Let me actually read the entire statement here, because this is just a beautifully written piece of PR that says, in reality, absolutely nothing to address the issue of, of the league's statement on the Weibo account. Here's the statement. Quote, there should be no discrepancy on the statement issued earlier today. We have seen various interpretations of the translation of the Mandarin version, but our statement in English is the League's official statement. Now, if you don't read that closely, that kind of says to English people, I got people tweeting this at me after I said, hey, the after I took issue with the Weibo account on Twitter, the statement on Weibo on Twitter, saying, oh, no, no, it looks like this was mistranslated. Oh, contraire. No, where does it say in this that the statement was mistranslated? There's nothing in here that says... That statement wasn't made by the league on Weibo. It doesn't say that that translation, and I looked in a number of places, all of which actually had the translation that I talked about with characterizing his remarks as inappropriate and also the trope about the hurt feelings. So we've seen various interpretations. I don't even know that there's another interpretation out there that I'm aware of. And you can say the statement in English is the league's official statement. Okay, that's great. You can call one the official statement, one not, but you still made this the Weibo statement through an official arm of the league and so clearly it seemed like they're trying to have their cake and eat it too with appeasing the chinese with the statement in chinese and or, or in mandarin i should say and appeasing people here with the english statement which was did not have that language in it and was kind of the usual oh we've caused offense but we you know daryl morey has the right to say what he says but he doesn't represent our official position so nowhere in the nba's clarification does it say that the translation of the weibo statement was wrong nowhere does it say that that statement was not made by an official arm of the league in china regardless of whether it's branded the league's quote-unquote official statement or not or c it doesn't even state that the Weibo statement does not, in fact, represent the league's position, as stated to the Chinese market. Now, perhaps that was a Chinese employee of the league who decided to word it that way or translate it that way. Maybe this wasn't a conscious decision made at the top, and just whoever translated it went in that direction, or someone who, who is more China-focused just was crafted with making a separate statement of the Chinese market, whatever it is, but it was a, an official account of the league that said that, and... To characterize Mori's remarks as inappropriate, you are siding against democratic protests in Hong Kong. And that, to me, is much more inappropriate than Mori's comments for the NBA to be siding against them. Because uh, Mori, despite the fact that he could have done it a lot more artfully, happens to be right. Now, as for Daryl, he ended up having to apologize himself and saying, oh, I've learned more on many issues from many sides and I've, I've offended uh, friends and Rockets fans in China. 
clearly was told to do that under pressure clearly he deleted the earlier tweet under pressure there's even a report from the ringer which you would imagine came from gerald morey talking to his buddy bill simmons i don't know that for sure but i think that's a reasonable inference that there was discussion of him being fired and then of course there was pushback on that daryl or someone for saying i got the best gm in the league and sam amick reporting that no there there's not a danger to morey's job it's unfortunate though for Gerald. I mean, I think he just kind of did this without thinking about it because the way that he handled it, I think is actually worse for the protesters than if he had just never said anything at all. Because by having to delete the tweet and essentially apologize, or at least say something that could be spun as apologizing, he now is further legitimizing the position of the Chinese government and giving them ammunition to say, yeah, he, he never should have said this. And oh, look, he's reformed his position because of, of the backlash. And, and look what this backlash can do for us. So I, you only embolden the position of the Chinese government by making that statement of the, then withdrawing it. And if you're going to go that far, I mean, clearly he didn't think about like, oh yeah, this is going to be interpreted as part of the rockets. And like my job could be in jeopardy and there's going to be this huge backlash. He I think it's very unlikely that he didn't think about that because if he did, then he wouldn't have done it because it seems clear that he's now is being pressured into withdrawing those comments. If he really thought about it, you don't tweet something like that. If you really think about it, unless you're actually really willing to stand by it and not delete the tweet and say, no, hey, guess what? You want to fire me for my free speech? Go ahead. Now, that's a stance that might have actually helped the protesters in Hong Kong. And I'm not going to tell him what to do with his money or not to get fired. I mean, he's made a lot of money in his career, obviously. But, you know, it's not like anyone else in the league is standing up for protesters in Hong Kong either. I think Fran Vashil said it best that we're not going to see anybody in the NBA taking, especially big stars who are dependent on Chinese money, or if not dependent, who are being paid by the Chinese market to actually support the Hong Kong protesters now. So he's at least tried to do more than anyone else has for this. But at the same time, it's probably been more hurtful for him to do this and then back down than if he'd never done anything. And finally, I, I mean, I've read a lot of the U.S. politicians' statement on this. And when you've got Ted Cruz and Beto O'Rourke agreeing on something that this is like pretty weak by the NBA, then uh, you probably screwed up. And, and this is just... A situation that probably has been coming to a head for a long time, being in bed with an authoritarian regime. And it certainly makes it tough when you're a business organization, but you're also trying to brand yourself as having a moral stance. And so people, people are saying, Oh yeah, you know, the NBA is like supposed to be this woke league. And you know, now this is proving that, that they're not. I think it's the reason that they've done that in large part. I think there are individuals within the league who certainly hold those political views and more individuals in the league hold more liberal political views than the country is large to be sure but as an organization they're about making money but i think you know some of the reasons why they've been supposedly a more woke league is because number one you have to appease the players number two their fans are more urban and liberal overall and so they are responding to what i think they their belief is that their fans want them to do well here their belief is we've got all these chinese fans and what they want and what the chinese government wants is for us to not represent any kind of a position on Hong Kong at all. And we'll see now whether the backlash in the U.S., still its primary market, despite all the primacy that they seem to give to this overseas stuff sometimes, is enough that they actually have to take a different position, that they can't kind of do this speaking out of both sides of their mouths that was typified by the Weibo statement. So who knows? We'll see whether this is over. We'll see whether Rockets games still get banned in China. Is this good enough for the Chinese government? Are American political figures going to really make a big deal out of this, continue to give this story legs, or is it going to kind of peter out? 
And obviously, if NBA games end up getting banned in China or the Rockets are a really good team and the finals aren't shown there, I, and can we comment, by the way, on the utter ridiculousness of banning Rockets games because their general manager said he stands with Hong Kong looking for more democratic freedoms. It's not even a separatist movement. The, the Joe Tsai characterization of Hong Kong as a separatist movement was utterly ridiculous. Like these are Chinese citizens who just want more democratic freedoms. There's, to my knowledge, no one credible saying that Hong Kong should completely break away from China. Like that was ridiculous. Like size size statement, which didn't surprise me because uh he's certainly cozy up with the the chinese government quite a bit and part of why he's involved here is to to be a conduit to the chinese market and he has his business interests with alibaba he obviously is going to be parroting exactly what he needs to do to support his business interests but this idea that this is some separatist movement and that because of all the terrible things that happened to china in the 20th century which you know certainly that's an explanation for maybe why chinese citizens might be susceptible to these arguments about supposed western interference in hong kong or whatever it is but it doesn't reflect the reality of what these protests is this doesn't have anything to do with the boxer rebellion or the the japanese invasion of china or anything like that i mean this that's just such specious reasoning to me but anyway uh the uh, just a reminder of who we're dealing with here that because one person involved in the organization had one tweet about uh, supporting protesters not rioters protesters who are looking for more democratic freedoms that now we can't show this entire organization's games for the entire year and oh yeah but we'll let you change your favorite team to another team uh on tencent if you subscribed for uh, nba games i mean that's just so utterly ridiculous and so against what i hope anyone who listens to this program stands for so ultimately that that was a little bit of a rant i wanted to get some of that off my chest to give my opinion there and you know if you're it's that that's not what you want to hear from me on future shows let me know i generally try to stay out of the politics but this one seems pretty cut and dried to me and obviously it's a, a huge story as an nba podcast i think we should at least make some sort of a commentary and we'll see whether this actually starts hurting the league's bottom line maybe it could affect things on the floor if they make a lot less money from china than they're expecting to and we could see a contraction of the salary cap or something like that i mean it doesn't i'm not predicting that that's going to happen and you know people much more seasoned china watchers than me will have to weigh in uh, on that one but ultimately uh i do agree with everyone that this is a regrettable situation but the most regrettable part of it is that the league like kind of shit on some pro-democratic protesters in hong kong and moreover they did it in the place where it's actually going to make a difference like nothing is going to change in china until the hearts and minds of chinese people change and clearly when you have the nba denouncing maury's remarks as inappropriate you're certainly not helping that to happen at all. And you're making the lives of people who do want more democratic freedoms in China much more difficult. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 